0: Right. I got to tell you, it is just such a privilege to be together and to worship when we don't have to be in charge. Can you thank those who are leading us this week? Just so grateful, just so grateful to be here uh, together. Thank you for being here uh, this morning. And uh, yesterday, when we were talking about Ben There, Done That, uh, one of the questions was how many of you ever gotten a vehicle stuck? All right? Now, uh, what I'd like you to think about today, uh, this morning, we're going to talk about uh, uh, this topic of uh, from stuck to started. So let's just uh, move to an image here of a car that's stuck in the snow. There, there, my friends, is an art to getting a car out of the snow that is stuck. Uh, Chris and I, the house that we lived in for 23 years, the last house we lived in, it had a driveway that was a couple hundred yards long, a gravel driveway leading up to our house off a country road, and it curved, kind of like an S. And uh, when our kids were teenage drivers, and they had their teenage driver friends over, they would try to back out of this 200-yard driveway. And off one side, its driveway ended, it sloped down onto the lawn, and inevitably... One of my kids would come inside and say, uh, "Hey, hey, Dad, we need your help, Dad. This is uh, this picture here. Of these guys. I mean, that's not stuck. I'm talking stuck, stuck, right? So first, what do you do first? You get the shovel. You clean out from underneath the car because maybe it's sunk right into the frame. You clean out in front of the in front of the tires, behind the tires, and then you start that. Put it in forward. Put it in reverse." Put it in forward. Put it in reverse. Maybe you run up to the house. What's next? What is it? Get the tractor. Someone else. Yeah. If you're at camp, you get the tractor. (laughs) My riding John Deere lawnmower would have been no help whatsoever. (laughs) And so uh, you get kitty litter or sand, right? Put that under there if it's really, really icy. Sometimes you can get some old carpet, uh, some cardboard, even the, floor, the precious floor mats from your car, and then forward, reverse, forward, reverse. And then you need to get someone to push. Look for two really burly, hefty, strong friends, your grandma, anybody, anybody to help push this sucker to get this, to get this out. After that, if you've tried and tried and tried and tried, there's only two options left. One option, walk away. Come back in June. It'll still be there. The other one, walk away and just abandon it forever. Have a friend put a for sale sign in the window. Move to Florida where you'll never have this problem again. The, the, The point is that often when you get yourself really stuck, the process of getting unstuck just isn't that easy. In fact, if getting unstuck were easy, we would have gotten ourselves unstuck a long time ago. And so an important question for us to ask today is just the question where... Might you be stuck? And we'll talk about that in a moment. But we're going to open our Bible to one of my favorite Bible stories of all time. It's an incredibly, it's incredibly popular Bible story, so I'm sure that most of you are familiar with it. It's uh, Haggai. Haggai. Yes, of course, Jeff, Haggai. Uh, maybe you want to refresh our memory. <laughs> Haggai's like buried into those little short minor prophets in the Old Testament and this is kind of the backstory uh, to Haggai. There had been a war. And Israel had been, had been crushed, it had been annihilated. And so uh, this is the kind of setup for the story. At Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, is off to the left. At Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, is on the right. Uh, and they are just crushing Country after country after country, people after people. The Babylonians sweep uh, north along the Euphrates River and then down. 586 B.C., they burn Jerusalem to the ground. Jerusalem is now not a city. It is a pit. It is a hole. It is a ruin. And the Babylonians, they had this. To keep everybody from getting all patriotic, they would just pick you up and move you out of your country. They had a policy of deportation to get these people from getting all patriotic and revolting. We'll just move them to another land. And so a bunch of people in Israel are deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. And they're there for decades. They're there for a couple generations. And then the Persians come in and they crush the Babylonians. And they had a different uh, philosophy, a different policy. The Persians said, okay, everybody that was ripped out of their home can go back now. Most people didn't. Because Jerusalem wasn't your home. It was your grandparents' home. You had made your way in another country. But tens of thousands of Jews moved back to Jerusalem in what was called the return, the return from exile. And it was stinking hard because you didn't come back to your city. You came back to a wreck. I mean, you wanted olive oil. You had to start planting olive trees and nurturing them because everything had been chopped down and wiped out. You wanted a grape harvest, you wanted a vineyard, you wanted wine. It takes years for little grape vines to actually be productive. You're trying to build a decent house for your family to live in, and so there's all of this work that you have to do in order just to make a life as a community. They're rebuilding everything. Oh, yes, and then there's just that one other little thing. This structure here, Solomon's temple, had been destroyed and burned to the ground, and it was a ruin. There it sat, month after month, after after year, after year, after year, after year, without being rebuilt. Uh, Haggai, the dates here, uh, the war, the destruction of Jerusalem, 586 B.C., Haggai prophesies in 520 B.C. And Haggai has one job. His job is to motivate the people to move from stuck to started in relationship to rebuilding the temple. See, the, the, the temple, it just it wasn't like a storefront church or a little you know, chapel or tabernacle. The, the, the temple represented for the people God at the center The place where God met them, the place where they met God. To procrastinate building the temple was to procrastinate putting God back at the center. To delay building the temple was to delay putting God back at the center. And to get to work on building the temple was to get to work on putting God back at the center. And month after month, after year after year, it sits there. Haggai's job is to confront the people and on behalf of their God say... Get moving. It's a case study in how to go from being stuck to getting started, from stuck to started. Before we jump into Haggai chapter 1 and see some of the dimensions and layers of the story, uh, I just got to ask you, is there any significant area of your life right now that you can pinpoint where you believe that you're stuck. For some of you, I think you would confess with a little bit of introspection and honesty that you're stuck in resentment that is quickly turning into bitterness. Last night, when we talked in The Land Between, we talked about that little bit where the decisions of the heart we make when we're 21, we're deciding what kind of 35-year-old we're going to be. The decisions of the heart made when we're 40, we're deciding what kind of 60-year-old we're going to be. Those of us who have been hurt, who have been wounded, and we've been unable or simply didn't know how to let that go, and we we, we have transitioned, clearly transitioned, from having resentful days to being a resentful person. And we're stuck in it. Just understand something. When you get stuck in resentment or bitterness, getting unstuck... Is not an easy thing to do. It takes a great deal of work to get unstuck. Some of you would confess that that you're stuck in apathy. You're still putting in hours, but you, you, you don't remember the last time God really had your heart or your ministry had your heart. So you you can dabble in work, you go into work, but there's a difference between that and throwing yourself creatively into your work. And some of you say, Yeah, Jeff, I I shut down, I checked out, I zoned out somewhere back and I feel kind of stuck in this apathy thing. And today it's possible that you could hear the clear call of God upon your life to move from stuck to started. And I I I know that for many in this room, and it's got to be dozens. There's a behavior somewhere along the line became a habit, maybe even an addiction, and you feel stuck there and ashamed to tell anybody else in your life about it. About it. What if our gracious God would be so pleased? to use our conversation today from Haggai that you can set today as a marker. I remember where I was sitting on a cold day in March at Gold Lake Conference Grounds in 2021 and God used his word by the power of his spirit to get me moving when I was stuck and I had no idea how to get unstuck. So Haggai's Haggai's job is to Bring the word of the Lord to these people and say, this is what the Lord, our God, says. It's time to get moving. So three, three different characteristics uh, from this Haggai chapter one story of people that move from stuck to started. Uh, characteristic number one is, is just this, know what time it is. Can you say those words with me? Ready? Know what time it is. Know what time it is. It's time to get unstuck know what time it is now uh, check out one of the first verses in Haggai Haggai chapter 1 verse 2 you'd find these words this is what the Lord Almighty says now, Haggai's just the prophet he's just the spokesperson he's just the voice box for God right this is what the Lord Almighty says these people the people of Israel living in Jerusalem these people say the the what the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house Read that with me, starting with these people. Ready? These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They didn't disagree that it was something important. They just say it's bad timing. Later, later, later. We'll get to it later. Someday we'll get to it. Someday we'll get to it. It's not a bad idea. It's just bad timing. Later, late, my friends, later is lethal. The time has not yet come. To rebuild the time has not yet come to really put God at the center we'll get to it someday you see if you tell God no at least then you can have a decent fight over it but when we tell God later later is lethal because we mean it but if you say later month after month after year after year after year you've really said no <laughs> Without realizing it, this is Haggai's job to get these people from stuck to started. And the word of the Lord says, you know what these people are saying, don't you? Just not time, just bad timing. Time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Apparently, they were busy with something else. I'm telling you, if I'm one of the returnees trying to build a community and get my life together, I'd be busy with all kinds of stuff. Other than throwing down on getting that temple project. I mean, the temple project was massive. It's a major project. It's an all-consuming project to get that temple built. I'm telling you, if I don't have a roof over my house yet, I'm thinking about the roof, not about the place of worship. Verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? This is the voice of the Lord to the governor and to the high priest. Is it really, really time? For you guys to be doing more home additions while my place is a shack, is a ruin, is destroyed, is devastated? Is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? See, people who move from getting stuck to started know what time it is. And that's Haggai's job. Haggai's message to the people in chapter 1 can be reduced to two words. Well, three if you, it's a contraction. It's time. Can you say it with me? Ready? It's time. Say it again, but whisper it this time. Ready? It's time. I have no idea where you are. I have no idea where you're stuck. I just know that for many people in this room, you would say, it's time to call a marriage counselor and to check in. We've said later, we've said later, we've said later, we said someday, we said we know, it's inconvenient, we're busy with other stuff, we're busy with being busy. It's time. For some of you today, you say it's time. It's time to let someone go who hurt you 10 years ago, and you still dwell on that and fixate on that and. Fertilize that and nurture that and grow that resentment. And you go, it's time, man. It's time to weed that out of the garden of my life. It's time. It's time. That's Haggai's job. It's time. People who get unstuck know what time it is. Instead of saying someday, there comes a point where they say, someday is today. It's time. It's time to go through some kind of like Dave Ramsey type financial course and to try to chip away at this mountain of debt that we're not wishing away. It's time. It's time. It's time to seek out a skilled, tender spiritual advisor where you say, I've never told anybody that this happened to me 26 years ago but I have a feeling I'm not getting unstuck alone. It's time. This is Haggai's job. Month after month after month after month, the temple sits there as a wreck, as a ruin. Haggai, give this message to the people. These people say, we'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Haggai, give this message to the governor and to the high priest. Is it really time for you to live in paneled houses while my house is a wreck, is a ruin? It's time, it's time. This is Haggai's job. People who get unstuck, who go from stuck to started, hit a day where somehow the word someday becomes the word today. It's time. Two days ago, Sunday morning, it was between the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock service. We got this deal where there's kind of an open atrium area, and then off the sides, a children's wing, and I was right over in this little, small, uh, smaller uh, hallway that leads into the, the children's wing, and there's a guy there, he introduced himself, gives me his name, and says, uh, he's, he looked to me to be like 34, 35, uh, and he said, uh, hey, uh, we never met you. We've never met our campus pastor. And uh, I'm, he gives me his name, and around the corner is his wife. He says, he says, we're newer here. We, we, a year ago, January, you know, so like 14 months so we never met. And he said, yeah, we just dropped off our three kids in the children's ministry. And he said, you need to know, before we started coming here, like a year ago, January, we, we had bailed on church for like, like eight years. And so I'm, I'm trying to get to the auditorium for the next service, right? And he goes, yeah, my, my wife and I were addicted And we just celebrated 14 months of sobriety. And I didn't ask addicted to what. I don't know whether it was alcohol. I don't know whether it was opioids. I don't don't know what it was. But he said, we were addicted. 14 months of sobriety. Now, I'm telling you something. To go from a married couple with three kids living in addiction to 14 months of sobriety and in church faithfully and in a small group Something happened. (laughs) There was a day where they apparently at the same time said, What? Two words. It's time. I didn't have time there in this weird space with people walking by. I didn't have time to dig deeper into the story, but I can almost guarantee something. I can almost guarantee that a couple living in addiction with three children probably said it's time because the pain of staying in the addiction seemed to them greater than the pain of getting help. Often, it's just in human nature, often we don't get unstuck until things get bad. (laughs) Bad, bad. Characteristic number two of people that get unstuck, we begin to hunger for God's blessing. We begin to hunger for God's blessing, which has been withheld from our lives. Now, what happened in Haggai's day is that there had been a drought. I mean, these returnees who had been planting crops, trying to make a living, trying to get these vines to grow and these, you know, fig trees to grow and these olive trees to grow and then wheat to grow so you'd have bread for your family during the winter, they had experienced a recent drought. Haggai's job is now to go, okay, you see that temple over there that's in ruins? Okay, okay. Do you see the crop that you just brought in and there was like almost nothing? Okay, okay, it's Haggai's job to go, these two things are connected that's Haggai's job Haggai's job is to say God sent the drought because of that now if you have a Bible that happens to be open in Haggai chapter 1 verse 9 you will find these words you said you expected much but see it turned out to be little this is the harvest what you brought home (sighs) I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crop. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Haggai's job is to say, you see the temple that's in shambles, you see the recent absence of crops, you had a crop failure, these are connected. That's Haggai's job. There's this bit that he goes on just before that. Check this out with me. Uh, Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give, you guys really need to be thinking about what's going on here. He says, and this happens twice in this passage. Give careful thought to your ways. Like, now think about this. Now check this out. The rhythm: uh, you've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, uh, but never have your fill. Now stay on this slide. Let's go back. Let's go back to the previous slide. Okay, I'm going to say the first line, and you respond by reading the second line. Ready? Ready? You have planted much. You eat. You drink. And then the next slide, let's do the same thing. You put on clothes. You earn wages. God's withholding his blessing. God is withholding his blessing. Often we get unstuck when we begin to hunger and thirst for the blessing of God to return to our lives. Now, this is a tricky thing to talk about. Because the term the blessing of God, uh, I, I discover it's used in at least three different ways. First of all, there's blessing simply because you're alive. Just It doesn't matter how you behave. It doesn't matter what you believe. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, I think, is where Jesus said, God's sun rises on the evil and the good. Guess what? If you're a total unbelieving atheist dirtbag, you get to wake up in the morning and go, oh, what a beautiful day. The sun is out and enjoy an Egg McMuffin. It's just God's blessing because you're... Ah, there's a second type of way the word blessing is used, and it's blessing because you believe. It's what Paul says in Ephesians, when you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of having your sins washed out, washed clean. It's the gift of knowing that after your heart stops beating in this life, our Lord says, I go to prepare a place for you. This is not a blessing because you're alive. This is the blessing because you believe every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ah, I believe the word blessing is also used in a third way, and this is blessing because you behave. There is a type of blessing that you can behave your way into and you can behave your way out of. What else could Paul could possibly have meant in Galatians 6 when he said, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows? What could James have been talking about where he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That word resist means to be actively against. I I think the epitome of spiritual arrogance is to believe that God is obligated to bless my life no matter what I'm doing. And this is confusing. This is really, really confusing because we sing of the mercy of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God and the love of God and we just go, it's all mine. And we speak of God's unconditional love. To speak of his unconditional love is different than speaking of his unconditional blessing. To look at a group and to say with total sincerity and belief, God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. That is different than saying, and he will bless you no matter what you're doing. No, Jeff. No, 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 no. The prodigal son story. He runs away from home, but he comes back, and the father sees him, and he runs out and embraces him. God's love is lasting and generous and unconditional. I know, but when the kid was away from home, he was starving and in rags. Do not mistake God's unconditional love with unconditional blessing there. I believe that there is a blessing that we can behave our way into and that we can behave our way out of. It's confusing to talk about because it can sound like some kind of works salvation or just a try harder thing. I, 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 I don't think that's it. I just think that when I lock my arms and I just tell God, later, 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 someday, maybe, we'll see, There's a point where my good and gracious God is saying, listen, there are some good things I'm going to withhold from you until you respond to me. Don't continue to ignore me and think I'm just going to shower you with the blessing that you could have received. (laughs) Just think of a dad, right? 16-year-old son, driver. Dad goes, look, uh, yeah, it's a school night. I need you home by 11. Look at me. What time? 11. I need you home by 11. Listen, I'm not going to be able to fall asleep until you get home. I got to get up hyper early tomorrow morning. So 11 o'clock, got it, got it. Dad's up, car's gone, 11 o'clock comes and goes. 11.15 comes and goes. 11.30 comes and goes. 11.45 comes and goes. 11.52, door quiets openly, tiptoes into the house. Dad flips on the hallway light. Hey, how you doing? You got your phone? I got my phone. Well, my phone says uh, 10.52. What's your, what's your phone say? Yeah, traffic was heavy. You don't say. Dad extends his palm. kid goes what dad extends his palm dad goes it's the universal sign forgive me the keys tomorrow morning i will be driving you to school tomorrow afternoon your dear mother will be picking you up for the next what i thought you loved me driving a vehicle in this family is a privilege and it's not a right give me the keys All I'm saying here is this, at least give God the credit that you would give a good parent to bestow blessing and to withhold it. This is Haggai's job. Haggai's job is to say, you see this temple over here that's a wreck? You see this crop that had a really bummer year? These two are connected. You know how God can withhold his blessing from my life? Any way he chooses. Do you know how God can show his blessing to my life? Any way he chooses. He's the father who gets to decide. I suggest to you that that couple that I met last week, who had just dropped off of their three children to our children's ministry, that are back in church after an absence of eight years and have 14 months of sobriety, I just want to suggest to you that that couple might begin again to taste the blessing of God upon their marriage, upon their children, upon their home, and upon their finances, and upon their employment. I believe they will be far reaching into every area of life. We get unstuck. When we begin to long, hunger for the blessing of God in our lives when it has been withheld. I don't think this talk is going to go well with people, Haggai's reprimand. Because let's just say that the Israelites did not have a great history of responding to the voice of the prophets. They're going to tell him to get lost. They're going to kick him out of town. They're just going to ignore him. In Haggai chapter 1, none of that happens. In Haggai chapter 1, the governor and the high priest and the people look at the prophet and they go, okay. They really do. They respond. They respond, and they respond fast. They respond with lightning speed. It's crazy. (laughs) See, third characteristic of people who go from stuck to started uh, is this. Uh, They decide to get unstuck. (laughs) It's the power of decision. They decide to get unstuck. Uh, This beautiful, beautiful verse. Don't get tripped up by the complicated names. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel... Joshua, son of uh, Jezadok, now Zerubbabel's the governor. There's no king of Israel. He's the governor. Uh, Joshua, it's the high priest, two chief leaders. Oh, there's the high priest. And the whole remnant, those are the people who returned from Babylon, the whole remnant of the people, critical word, right after people, they did what? They obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai. They said, okay, they obeyed crazy thing you read the last words of haggai they start work on the temple within 3 weeks which means they go into a flurry of activity collecting cash ordering supplies getting contracts with you know general contractors and subcontractors releasing craftsmen who were building another addition on their home and say listen friday you don't show up here you know friday you show up there And use your skill to work on the temple. They totally reoriented their energies around getting the temple built. My friends, it had been in ruins month after month after month, year after year after year. They responded to the word of the Lord, and there's this flurry of activity around getting back to work on the temple. They decide it's the power of decision. I just want to be something very clear here. Decision won't get you there. New Year's resolutions, anybody? Decision. Making a decision won't get you there, but often when we get somewhere, it started with an important decision. So there's a difference between a decision and execution, but rarely is there execution without decision. So decision is a critical step. Say, man, what happened? It took them two years, but they turned things around. What happened? There was a day that they decided to cut up their credit cards. There was a day that they decided, enough, we're going to check into a counselor. There was a day that they decided to begin each morning by reading a chapter of the Gospels each morning or a chapter of Proverbs each morning. Not that God would meet them powerfully every day, but at least they were sitting in a chair where God could meet them powerfully some days. They made a decision. They made a decision to carve out time to welcome God into every day. They chose. They decided. They made a decision to pull a, someone aside who's older and wiser with a strong spiritual pulse and say, man, there's been something dark going on in my life for way too long. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to get unstuck, but I think it's not going to happen alone. They decided. They decided. They decided. They decided. They decided. The beautiful story of Haggai chapter one, and we'll look at chapter two tonight, it was not uncomplicated from this point on, is that you see people who move from stuck to started. I need to ask you a question. It's probably the most important question of our morning. Do you remember when you quit? (laughs) Do you remember the day you quit as a mom or as a dad? Where you just said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. She's uh, defiant, she's deceitful, she's disrespectful. I'm done, I'm done parenting. I don't care if she's only three years old, I'm done. Do you remember when you quit? Do you remember when you quit in your marriage? Maybe you're still married, and maybe you're not asking anybody to move out, and maybe you're not filing for divorce, but you, but you shut down. You quit. Do you remember the argument? Do you remember where you were standing in your family room? Or your living room? Or that long car, car ride home when somebody said something? Or did something? Or didn't do something? and you just quietly made a vow, I'm out, I'm out. I'm not leaving, but I'm out, and you shut down. Do you you remember when you quit? little secret in ministry. People resign from ministry long before they notify their boards. Something in your heart goes, after that meeting, after I worked so stinking hard and that person said that thing, this ministry might get my time cuz I need to draw a paycheck and support my family but the, you don't remember the last time they had your heart. Do you do you remember do you remember when you quit? Listen, what if today is the day? What if this morning, what if this moment is the moment to whisper To God. I'm back. (laughs) Even if you don't know how to get back. In the prodigal son story, there's that moment where he's covered with pig filth. And he's really skinny. And he's starving to death. And he's in rags. Where it says, he came to his senses. And he said, I am will return to the Father. It was a decision that led to the embrace and to the new close (laughs) and to the feast. Let me ask Jeff just to come up and uh, just play a little bit as we Look at one last verse together. Haggai chapter 1. Rick, I'm not sure if it's there. Uh, Last verse, There we go. Uh, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. Four words. What are the four words? I am with you, declares the Lord. (laughs) They weren't started yet. The temple wasn't up yet. All they had done was decide it and said, we're back, we're back, and we're going to throw down on this, and we want to get from stuck to started. And the Lord gives this message to Haggai to give to the people. I'm with you. I am so with you. As you begin to move, as you take baby steps of movement, your Lord whispers, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. To those of us who are perfectionists and believe that we could not possibly hear the applause of heaven until the project is done. Here God applauds simple movement. They decided to obey. They said we're back. Haggai says, the Lord has another message for you. I'm with you. I'm with you in your movement. I'm with you on your way. I will be with you. I'm with you. I am with you. I you.